All right. Hey, Acts chapter 2. We are in part three of our five-week teaching series, and we're looking at this call. We're calling this a Jesus church, a Jesus church. And this is based off of Matthew 16, where Peter and and Jesus were having a dialogue. And Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then in response, Jesus said, uh, Peter, rightly you've said so. He said, then on this rock, I will build my church. On this statement that I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build my church. And here's how we're approaching this kind of series is Jesus builds the church. It's Jesus' church. He is the true shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. Uh, He's the one we look to. And Jesus is doing this work. And so we're kind of approaching this of like, Jesus, what do you have in mind? When you say you will build your church, like what kind of church do you want? Like what should church be about? Now, there's so many different things we could do. We could make this like 12 weeks long and look at this way more in depth. But we're kind of doing like the 30,000 feet view of like what is like a foundation of a healthy, biblical, Jesus-centered church. And so the way we're approaching this, week one was the gospel, that any church should be about the gospel of Jesus. Week two was the word, that we are a church that preaches the word, goes to the word, we look to the word. Today, we're looking at the spirits how we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Next week will be the mission, and then week five is the why, the why, which is worship, why we exist. And so we're kind of looking like, Jesus, when you build your church, what do you have in mind? Like, what is it you want to do? What is it you want to accomplish? What is it you want us to be about? And so, like I mentioned, today we're going to be talking about the Spirit, the Spirit. Now, let me say this. Um, As we uh, approach the topic of the Holy Spirit, there's probably no other topic or teaching that I feel probably more intimidated by because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about God the Spirit. I mean, this is not something where I can do justice in one message. Like we're talking about the infinite, inexhaustible God, the eternal God. And so this will probably fall short in some ways. It'll be incomplete in some ways. But in, in many ways, we're just kind of hoping this is more than a teaching. And like we're just pleading with you and with ourselves of like, God, we desperately need your Spirit. Like, I, I hope you know that as we talk through the, the Holy Spirit today, the Holy Spirit is just not a subject matter to, to know more about, but he's a person to walk with. The Holy Spirit is somebody we want to walk with, walk in the Spirit. We want to understand what that means, what that looks like. And again, I, this is one of those things where I feel very limited and even intimidated by when I talk about the Holy Spirit, because again, there's just so much there. And it's so much more than a subject matter as much as a person for us to know. I love how this one author, Bernard Ram, put it. He said this, To profess to know a great deal about the Spirit of God is contrary to the nature of the Spirit of God. There is a hiddenness to the Spirit that cannot be uncovered. There is an immediacy of the Spirit that cannot be shoved into vision. There is an invisibility of the Spirit that cannot be forced into visibility. There is a reserve of the Spirit that cannot be converted into openness. For these reasons, one feels helpless inadequate, and unworthy to write a line about the Spirit. And that's how I feel. It's just one of those subjects, you guys, where we say, we're going to talk about the Spirit of God, and my prayer is, and in a sense, like I'm begging, I'm pleading that we would be a church that is, is in desperate need for the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't want to just do this. I don't want to just play church. I don't want to try to create methods of how to do church as much as, like, God, we need you. We need the Spirit. Like, we need you to fill us individually. We need you, like, to fill us collectively. And only God can do this. So I really don't know, other than like, God, we're going to study your word. We're going to invite the spirit in here. We're going to receive the spirit, as so often the scriptures say, receive the spirit. And it's one of those things, it's more of a heart posture saying, God, we're open. We want your spirit. We need your spirit. We need you to move desperately. 
You know, Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God, and I highly recommend it. It's a book on the Holy Spirit. I'll probably mention it a couple of times. And here's what he said. He says, if the Holy Spirit moves, nothing can stop him. If he doesn't move, we will not produce genuine fruit. No matter how much effort or money we expend, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. You know, in many ways, we're saying, God, do things that we cannot explain. Like, we need God to move in our church, in our community in South Florida. We don't want it to be explainable. Like, we want to say only God can get the glory from this. Like, only the Spirit of God could do this. And that is our prayer, that God would do that within our church, within our, within our community. And so as we talk about the Spirit, we're saying this is what the church is like about. We're saying that, that the church desperately needs the person of the Spirit. And so we're going to read Acts 2. There's so many verses, so we'll, we'll be in Acts 2. Uh, we'll probably use this as like a jumping platform to other verses, but um, we're going to start in Acts 2 and kind of walk through that. So let's read Acts chapter 2. Verse 38 is where we pick up. Uh, remember the context. Jesus just ascended into heaven about 10 days ago. 10 days later, it's the Feast of Pentecost. The disciples are gathered together. Uh, the women and the disciples are gathered together in the upper room. They're praying for 10 days, praying for the Spirit to come like Jesus promised. If you remember, the Spirit falls upon them. It says like there's like tongues of fire above their head. They, it says they're filled with the Spirit. They speak in these unknown tongues, but the people there in the city outside of those walls can understand the wonderful works of God in their own language. I love this, that the gospel's first preached in everyone's language, not limited to one culture or one people group. Everyone hears the wonderful works of God in their language there at Acts 2. Then Peter gets up, preaches the gospel, and then you see just thousands of people come to faith. And then we see the birth of the church. And obviously, we want to learn a lot from the origin of our, of our history of this, the beginning of the church. So Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that's where we pick off. Uh, let's read together. Verse 38, Peter says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. He's saying this is a promise the gift of the Spirit to you, to your children, to your children's children, to us. The gift of the Spirit is a promise to all of those who are far off. That's you and I. Verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word, they were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And when they had continued steadfastly, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. If there was a church that was spirit-filled, it's this church. And we want to learn from this church. And, and again, my, my hope, my prayer is not that this is just some clever series like a Jesus church as much as it's saying, God, make us about the gospel, make us about the word, make us about your spirit. Like we desperately need the person, the spirit. So I just want to pray. Um, I want to kind of slow down a bit. I want to give you guys some time. Why don't you just bow your heads, close your eyes. 
And just kind of what, doing what Peter said, like receive the Holy Spirit, would you just take a second and say, God, would you speak to me by your Spirit? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And if you would, just take a few seconds and say, Spirit, teach, to, teach me today. Speak to me today. You pray, and then I'll pray. Father, that is our prayer, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, that you'd make us hungry for your word, that we'd be a church that's desperate for your presence, for your spirit, that, God, you'd do something only you can do. Lord, thank you for everyone in this place. I pray, God, that if their lives feel dry or empty, that you would just fill them with your presence, with your spirit, that, God, you'd move, that we would not just rely on human creativity or different methods as much as, God, we just desperately need you. And so show up, God. Please speak and please move in this place. We ask Jesus in your name. Amen. In James 2.26, James wrote, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so too faith without works is dead. James gives this illustration or example to say, just like a body without spirit in it, it's, it's no good, it's dead. So to faith, if it's not attached to works, is dead. And I find it interesting. He's trying to make the point about saying your faith must have works, right? That's like the context, absolutely. But I find it interesting that he uses this kind of description as the body without the spirit, it's obviously dead. So when the body, we know that, if you see a body and there's no spirit in it, you go, that's a dead body. And, I, and in the same way, I want to say, we together, we're called the body of Christ. We make up the body, Ephesians 4, when we come together. You and I form the body of Christ. And I want to say it in this way, as the church body without the Spirit, we too are also dead. Meaning when the church body comes together, it can't just be a group of people that come together. We desperately need the Spirit. We desperately need Him. And I think James is using this as a great example to talk about faith and works, but I think it so fits to us. I think one of the greatest examples of that idea is in Ezekiel 37. You might know this story, this passage. You might know this like prophetic vision that Ezekiel has. But in Ezekiel chapter 37, God takes Ezekiel, it says in verse 1, in the spirit to a valley, and it's just filled with dry bones. There's just an army of dry bones everywhere. And then God asks Ezekiel, he goes, hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And he goes, well, Lord, you would know if they can live again. And so God says, well, Ezekiel prophesied to these bones. So Ezekiel prophesies to the bones, and they begin to connect together. And I can't imagine just seeing, like, the bones come together, and it says, and then flesh covered them. I don't know why I think of that childhood song, like, the left knee bone is connected to the hip bone. I don't know. I just picture, like, that happening. And so they're connecting together. It's filled with flesh, and they're there, but they're not really alive. He goes, yes, they're, they're connected. They're there, but they're not alive. And so God goes, okay, well, prophesy now to the wind. Speak to the wind. And so Ezekiel prophesies to the wind, and here's what it says in Ezekiel 37, verse 10. So Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived. And they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Can't imagine seeing that? Where he now speaks to the wind, the wind now goes and, and dwells in them. This word in Hebrew for wind, it's ruach, it also means breath or, or wind, or it means breath or spirits. So it, it can refer to like your breath or the wind, but it also refers to like the spirits. And now they're living beings. These are just dry bones connected together, flesh put on them, and now they're alive. And here's what we see. Obviously, God was using this as a prophetic picture for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was being held captive. They're going into slavery, into Babylon at that time. And they're asking the question, God, will we ever live again? Will we ever be a nation again? And God's like, listen, I make dead things alive. God uses this really prophetic vision for Ezekiel to say, I take dead things and I make them alive again. 
And here's what I want to say. You and I, though we come together, though we form the body of Christ, we need the breath of God. We need the Spirit of God. Like without the Spirit of God, without the breath of God, we're not alive. Like we desperately need the Holy Spirit in us. I love this illustration in Ezekiel because the point is God loves to make dead things alive. Like just throughout the Bible, we see that theme of God's like Jesus sees Lazarus in the grave and goes, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Just this is what God does. He makes dead things alive. I think this happens, he's speaking to corporately to the nation of Israel, but even personally. Just think about these areas, these dead areas in your life just God wants to make alive. I think all of us have little like dead areas in our life that God's like, I want to make that alive again. Your passion for me, it's dead. I want to make it alive. Maybe there's like depressive thoughts, suicidal thoughts, thoughts that have been plaguing you recently, just fear that's overwhelming you, and God's like, let me make that alive. You see, I love that the Spirit of God is just attracted to death to make it alive. And we see that in scriptures where just God's like, I want to make this alive. I want to make you alive. Church, here's, here's my prayer for this. We're going to talk about the person of the Spirit. And though it's somewhat theological, there's, there's also going to be a side of this where we're just praying like, God, just move. You know, I think we have more information right now in the year 2021 about the person of the Holy Spirit. And yet we probably know less about him the way the early church did. Like if you think about it, there's so many books written on the Holy Spirit. So many good like systematic theology books on the person and work of the Spirit. But you and I probably know him less experientially. And see, I don't want to fall into that trap where we're like, we know the right things. Like, I don't want to just ask you a question about the Spirit and you can answer right, like you can pass the test, and yet you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And yet you don't walk with the Spirit or walk in the Spirit. So how does this move from just head knowledge to like, we're walking this out, we're carrying this out? Like, it, it must go on beyond that. You know, again, more quote from him, but Francis Chan said this. He says, I am convinced there's a desperate need in the church for the Holy Spirit of God to be given room to have his way. I think we can agree that there's a problem in our churches that something is wrong, but I don't think we can reach an agreement on what to do about it. He's like, there's some sort of problem, but what can we do? And he's offering the solution of of the Spirit. You know, this might be weird to say, but if I were Satan, that's so weird to say, um, I would probably try to get the church to ignore the Spirit to not pay attention to the Spirit, to maybe make you freaked out by the person and work of the Spirit, to maybe make it weird. I would probably pr- try to make a caricature out of him and make it so that, that Christians, followers of Jesus, don't seek to know him, walk with him, and live in the power of the Spirit. And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, I think one of the best quotes on this today uh, was from a guy named A.W. Tozer, just one of those classic old fiery preachers. And he said this, listen, He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Like this is much, this is much too spot on. Like this is, this is too real. So my prayer is that God make us a church where only you could do this. Like only you could save souls, only you could heal people, only you could uh, just restore marriages, only you could do these things, God. So as we talk about what kind of church we want to be, we want to be a church that is filled with the Spirit, seeking the person of the Spirit. So here's how we're going to kind of walk through this today so you kind of can stay with me. We're going to look at who the Spirit is, what He does, and what does a Spirit-filled church look like. So who He is, what He does, and what does a Spirit-filled church actually look like? All right, so let's do that. First thing, who the Spirit is. We're kind of going to jump around to some other verses because uh, not one text does justice. We want to look at what the Scriptures say. So who is the Spirit? John 14, verse 16, Jesus said this. He said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper 
that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. All right, there's a lot here. Let me just point this out. Look at the pronouns Jesus uses. Uh, the spirit is a person. Let's just start there. Who is the spirit? He is a person. We got to understand this, that uh, the spirit is not a person like with fingers and fingernails, and, like a tongue, but the spirit is a person in the way that he thinks, he acts, he has a will. The Holy Spirit has emotion. You got to look at the, the way the Bible uses language about him. The Holy Spirit is not like some force that we like plug into for power. He's not some force. He's a person to know. Um, this is so important that, again, he's not like some energy, like he truly is a, a person. He's not an it. Sometimes I hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as like an it, because they hear like Holy Spirit it, and they think he's an it. He's not an it. He's a person. Like, how would you like being called an it? What if I was like talking about my wife? I'm like, oh, well, it told me the other day. You're like, whoa, <laughs> like, don't do that. That's your wife. Like, that's not personal, right? And the idea is like, no, there's a personalness there. You know, here's why, let me just start off here. Here's why the Holy Spirit as a person matters so much. Um, I think my, my prayers early on, which, and maybe you've had these prayers, not necessarily wrong, but my prayers early on was like, God, God, I want and I need more of the Holy Spirit. Like, God, give me more of the Holy Spirit. And I think as you approach him as a person, it's not so much, God, I, I want more of him. It's how can he have more of me? Like, I think what happens in your prayer life, what changes is God, like, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? He's not some force for me to use. He's a person to know. He's a person to walk with. And so the idea is my, your prayers change from not just give me the Spirit as much as, even though that's not necessarily wrong or bad prayer, but God, I want to give myself and yield myself, make myself available to the person of the Spirit. Lord, you use me. Like, Here I am, God. It just change how you approach him. So the Holy Spirit is given certain characteristics that only people have. And we'll throw up some of these verses for you so you can kind of see it. But here's uh, the example. Characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we'll throw the verses up as well. He has a mind. The Bible makes it clear he has a mind, 1 Corinthians 2. He has emotions. He can be grieved. He has a will. He gives gifts according to his will. He leads us and he guides us. Now, these are just a few characteristics that you don't give like to gravity. Gravity doesn't have a will doesn't have a mind, but the Spirit does. He has these characteristics of a person. Uh, not only that, when we say he's a person, there's certain titles given to him. And just so you know, titles, like, that's reserved for a person. So you don't say, hey, Mr. Electricity the other day. Like, you don't give titles to that. Here's some titles for the Holy Spirit. And I just want this kind of to sink in because there's so much revealed to us about the Holy Spirit through his titles. Let's look at some of these. He's called the Comforter, the Eternal Spirit, the Free Spirit, the Good Spirit, the power of the highest, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of glory, the spirit of God, the spirit of grace, the spirit of holiness, you with me? The spirit of judgment, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of life, the spirit of might, the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of the Father, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord God, the spirit of the Son, the spirit of truth, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of wisdom. All right, there's just a few. Um, the reason why I want you to see that, man, is it just reveals to us who the Holy Spirit is, that he's a person, that, that God uses him in just personal ways, that as we pray, as we seek him, it's not, again, so much how can I have him, but how can he have me? Now, yes, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit, but we also need to yield ourselves up to him, to walk with him, to know him. So the Holy Spirit, who is he? He's a person. Let me just say this, really, be really clear. The Holy Spirit is God. We got to understand this, that the Holy Spirit is fully God. He is God. There's characteristics used about him that are only used to describe God. 
So again, we'll just throw a few up here for you, not as much, uh, but there's the attributes of God in him. He is eternal, Hebrews 9. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere present. He is all-knowing. So these attributes of the Spirit are reserved only for God, that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. That's of the Spirit. God is ever-present, everywhere-present. That's omnipresent. That's the Spirit. That God has all the power that's reserved for the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's fully God. Uh, another way I want to make sure this is really clear, we would say it this way. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Now let's talk about the Trinity since we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, this is one of those topics where you say, what is the Trinity? Part of me is like, can you tell me? Like this is, this is one of those topics where I don't feel like we can fully do justice. We try to use language to explain the Trinity, that we worship one God who eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, that they're three distinct persons, and yet they're eternally God. And we worship one God. I'll be really clear. Deuteronomy 6, that hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And the word there for God, Elohim, is like this plural word for God. It's this one, it's like one, singular, but yet plural. And that's what we see within the Trinity. And I know it's one of those topics where as we talk about that, it's like, what, how does this work? I think there's a beauty and mystery in the Trinity that God's like, I also want to keep you, you know, somewhat just humble and understand that I am vast and I am infinite and I am eternal and your finite mind cannot understand an infinite God. But there's something we do want to understand who we worship here. We want to understand that the Holy Spirit is fully God and he's a part of the Godhead. And there's something beautiful about knowing the Spirit in this way, just knowing that he is fully God that he has a will, that he acts, he moves, he leads, he guides, that he can give you gifts according to his will. So God can just pour out his spirit upon you and do what he wants through the person of the, of the spirit. But we understand this, uh, Jesus, when he, during the Great Commission, he said, go, go make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice in Matthew 28, when Jesus said that, in the name singular, and then he lists three names. In the name, but there's three names. So it's one name, but there's three distinct persons. And so we got to understand this, that uh, the Father is oftentimes referred to as God, but he's God the Father. You have Jesus, who's God, and the Holy Spirit is God. I think another clear example of this is in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the way the book ends. Uh, the author says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen. Where you constantly see the Trinity just elevated to that position. Hey, the Lord Jesus, our God, our Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. That's walking, relationship, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Do you not hear these words? Listen to these words for a second. He's saying the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's relationship you have with the Holy Spirit. There's fellowship. That word communion, like community, fellowship, you're connected to the person of the Spirit. Just interesting to hear the language used about him. I just want to be really clear. Who is the Holy Spirit? Man, he is a person. He is God. Now, the question I think we should ask is like, but what does he do? So what does he do? Now, again, this is not fully complete, but I just want to give you like a taste of just who he is. But number two is this, what does he do? Like, what does the Holy Spirit do? I just started writing out like a list of things and I had to like summarize it because there's too much. There's so many verses about what he does, but what does the Holy Spirit do? I think Jesus answers this the best in John 15, 26. In John 15, 26, Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Listen, what does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus says he testifies of me. He speaks of me. You see the Trinity in this verse? When I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Spirit. The Father will also send the Spirit, and he will point to me. He will testify of me. The Holy Spirit's primary role 
is to point us or bring us to Jesus, to point out Jesus, to like get our hearts and our minds and our thoughts just captured by Jesus. Another verse in John 16, Jesus said, he, the spirit, will glorify me for he'll take of what is mine and declare it to you. I want you to hear this. Two different times, and really we see kind of the point, he goes, the spirit, when the spirit comes, he's going to glorify me, he's going to testify of me. Church, I want us to see this. Like, the Holy Spirit is to bring our hearts to just Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus, to see Jesus, to be just enthralled with the person of Jesus. You know, I was talking to someone that's like, why doesn't God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit get equal, like, mic time? Like, why does it feel like Jesus gets talked about more than the Spirit? I think they should all have equal amount of time. Because according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's role is to testify of Jesus. He's the point to Jesus. That people sometimes can be so fixated on the person of, of the Holy Spirit, but they miss out on the point of his ministry, which is to bring us to Jesus. It's to say, church, I want your hearts focused on Jesus. We don't want to miss the point here. The Holy Spirit, like, it's like, almost like, can we shine some light on the Holy Spirit? But the whole point is for the Spirit to shine light on Jesus. So I, I love what one author said about this. Listen to this about the idea of a floodlight. He says, the job of a floodlight is not to call attention to itself. The job of the floodlight is to throw it into relief, the beauty and the magnificence of the thing it's flooding, right? So if you go to like the Washington Monument and you just see this beautiful like monument and you see the floodlights like point on it, like making it visible, making it seen, no one walks up to me like, oh my gosh, look at these floodlights. They're incredible. I love the floodlights. No, they're like, look at, look what it's like lighting up. Look what it's focusing on. And he's like, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's like just bring light and our attention to Jesus in the midst of this. You know, think about it this way. Even sometimes we can get obsessed with the gifts of the Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit works in miraculous ways and even somewhat same, seem to be natural ways, but we can get obsessed with it. Even the gifts of the Spirit are used to what? Equip us, to equip the body, to bring more lost people into the family of God. It's to bring attention to Jesus even in that. Like the gifts aren't even about the gifts. The gifts are about lost people. The gifts are about building up the body of Christ to reach more lost people. So even when we focus on the gifts, we can miss the point. I love how one author said it, C.J. Mahaney. He says, all gifts from God, including the gifts of the Spirit, are intended to direct our attention to Jesus and create a fresh affection for Jesus. So when you read about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, when you see the different gifts that are mentioned, it's like know that they're there to build up the body of Christ ultimately so people can know Jesus. Even the gifts of the Spirit are to basically reveal Jesus. We got to understand his ministry is to testify, to glorify Jesus. Amen? You know, Charles Spurgeon, one of those old classic preachers, said this. He goes, I love this. He said, I sometimes wonder that you do not get tired of my preaching. I think that all the time. Because I do nothing but hammer away at this one nail. The one nail is the glorious news that our glorious Savior paid it all in our place and responds he is worthy of our highest devotion and greatest service. He's like, I'm amazed. This is all I want to preach about our glorious Savior who paid for our sins, who bridged the gap, that God bridged the gap, that God came to us. And he's like, I'm surprised I don't get tired of this. Listen, the Holy Spirit's role is just to bring attention to Jesus. Not only that, what does the Spirit do? Listen, here's what the Spirit does. He, he, he's here to point us to Jesus, to, to glorify Jesus, but the Holy Spirit transforms us. Let me say this. He transforms us. You know, how do people change there's so many books right now, if you would like Barnes & Noble, like, how do you change? How do you change for good? It's crazy. How do we change? The Bible is really clear that you and I are transformed and changed by the Spirit of God. If you want to change, it will be the Holy Spirit. It'll be the work of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, but we all, listen, with an unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You're like, what is this saying? He's saying, as if we're beholding in the mirror. Remember, the Word of God was called a mirror last week. As we look at Jesus, as we stare into the face of Jesus, as we read the four Gospels and learn about our Savior, Jesus, he goes, you're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus. The, the hope for us in sanctification is that we become more like Jesus. We think like Jesus, we love like Jesus, we serve like Jesus, we give like Jesus. He's like, you're being transformed into his image. How? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You and I, you and I are transformed by the Spirit. That's what makes us new. That's what changes us. That's what grows us. You know, this word transformed, if you go back and read it, in the Greek it's this word metamorpho. Everyone say metamorpho. So fun. Uh, metamorpho. Come on, you can say that. Metamorpho, all right. Listen, it's obviously we know where it comes from. It communicates the idea of metamorphosis. And I, I want you to think about this. He goes, you're being transformed from glory to glory. You're being transformed from this one image into the image of Christ. You're being metamorphosized. You think about a caterpillar that enters into that cocoon-like state, and then maybe a few days later merges into this glorious butterfly and all of a sudden, it probably thinks differently, like, I can fly. What are these things? They're wings. I can fly. It does life differently now. You know, it thinks differently. It approaches things differently. It doesn't have to walk. It can fly. The point behind that is, like, it couldn't force that. It was just metamorphosized. And he's saying, listen, Christians, we try so hard to change, but it's the Spirit of God that changes us. Like, we want to, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better friend, a better pastor, a better leader. Like, there's so many areas I need to grow in. And he's saying, here's how you do it, by the Spirit of the Lord. And you're like, well, how do I do that? He says, as you stare into the face of Jesus, as you read scriptures, as you just kind of give yourself to the person of Jesus, watch the Holy Spirit turn you into his image. You know, the, the Bible is already clear, like, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. So if I'm beholding the person of Jesus, he goes, you're going to become more like him. The Spirit is transforming you into that image. Now, with that same thought, we've got to give room for the Spirit to work. If the Spirit is moving, we've got to give him some space to work. Listen, I want to encourage you this week to say, Spirit, change me, but I want to give you some room. I want to give you some time. Like, I want to create some conditions and rhythms in my life where you can work, where you can move. Uh, this, this author, her name is uh, Ruth Haley Barton, she said this about spiritual transformation. She said, I cannot transform myself, or anyone else for that matter, what I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and painting a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. So I can't change myself or anyone. I can't change anyone here. But I can create these conditions or these rhythms to my life where I allow the Holy Spirit to move. You know, we did a series obviously on spiritual disciplines or rhythms about 2019 in the fall. It is to walk through, like, how do we kind of give ourselves over to these practices, these rhythms, so the Holy Spirit can transform us. Listen, the Holy Spirit transforms us. He does it. Let's give him room to work. Amen? We know this. He glorifies Jesus. He transforms us. And here's the thing. He empowers us. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He empowers us. It might be a verse that's overused, but it's so good. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to how he says it. Paul writes, or Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and all the earth. Here's the idea. Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm about to ascend into heaven. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you power. Now let's just talk about power for a second. Um, there's a lot of writings on power, how power always corrupts. 
And there's a lot of ideas that say, hey, there's a lot of power plays that are used to just make, you know, people try to say things to get power and then ultimately corrupts them. Here's the idea. Christian power is a service-like power. God gives us power to become servants. God gives us power to become witnesses. Christians use power. We're supposed to use power way different than anyone else uses power. Notice this. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you power for the sake of like, I need power. Like, I'm having a bad day. God, give me power. The whole point of it is to be a witness. Like, it's to reach the lost. So God gives us power to be witnesses. I I love how Paul puts it. Paul puts it the best, or explains it to me the best. Uh, In in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17, Paul says this, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, debauchery. He says, but, listen, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. I want you to notice what Paul does here. This idea of like the Holy Spirit empowers us or fills us, Paul points out something. He, con- he contrasts the Holy Spirit with alcohol. He's like, don't be drunk with wine. That just leads to like debauchery, craziness. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, why is it so interesting to me that he compares alcohol to the Spirit? Stay with me. You notice, if you've ever been around someone who's just drinking too much, you know, I've been to weddings and you see people drink too much and you notice that they get usually like this crazy boldness, Right? Like, they feel so comfortable. Like, they will say things they wouldn't normally say. You're like, oh my gosh, like, that's really loose. Um, they will, like, dance and jump on things and, like, oh my gosh, you're, like, so, like, it gives them this crazy boldness, right? Like, they do things and act in certain ways they would never do if it wasn't for alcohol. And the idea is this. They usually get boldness and more brave because alcohol is a depressant. And what it does is it helps you really see less of reality. So, it, in a sense, it's a depressant. It really does depress you. And then you kind of see less of reality. So, you're like, I don't care. I'll just do whatever I want. I'll speak this. I'll dance. Like, like, you just don't care, right? It kind of lessens your senses, and it makes you more bold. Now, here's the opposite. The Holy Spirit does this. He doesn't lessen your sentences, lessens your senses. He actually heightens your senses, not so you see less reality, but so you see more reality. So the idea is like when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you too will do things and say things you would never normally do or say. You will pray things you would never normally pray. You would give things you would never normally give. You would share the gospel with someone you would never normally share the gospel with. Why? Because you're filled with the Spirit. Not that you see less of reality, but you see more of reality. See, the power isn't that, that the Holy Spirit heightens our senses. That you go, oh my gosh, there is a battle for souls here. That there's truly a battle for people's soul, for their eternal life. And that you go, Holy Spirit, like overwhelms you. You go, I have to say something. I have to do something. I have to give something. The Spirit of God is upon me where I can't just hold back. It's crazy. Alcohol numbs the senses, so you have this weird boldness. But the Holy Spirit gives you a unique boldness as well because he's heightened those senses. Because he wants you to be filled with the Spirit. And you go, wow, God, I want to I be filled with power. Why? So I can be a witness of you, Jesus, to the ends of the world. Listen, church, the Holy Spirit empowers you, but don't realize again what it's for. It's not just you can feel the sense of power. It's so you can be a witness. I want God to heighten our sense of reality. What's really going on around us? When I look around this room, I think about all the things we don't see. When I think about as you drive home, all the things we don't see with our eye, the things unseen. And in reality, God opens up those spiritual lenses to help you see those things that matter. To go, oh my gosh, why am I wasting my time on this when my marriage is falling apart? Why am I wasting my time on this when so many people don't know Jesus? What am I doing? And God just gives you more of an awareness of his presence. You see, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And he's saying, this is where the power lies. Let God heighten your senses. He empowers us. And here's the last thing. What does the Holy Spirit do? Let me say this. He is pursuing you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He pursues people. I mean, Jesus said this in John 16, verse 8 and 9. In John 16, 8, Jesus says, when the Spirit has come, listen, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me. 
Jesus says when the Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they don't believe in me. I find that fascinating. Right now, the Holy Spirit is pursuing people to believe in Jesus. So I think Christians, we miss the mark. We're like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, you shouldn't be smoking. That's bad. You shouldn't be doing that. Like, we miss the point where we're trying to convict people of things the Holy Spirit's not convicting them of. What does the Holy Spirit convict people of? Of sin that they don't believe in Jesus. That, like, what we can relate to when we're talking to someone is like, don't you know that you were made for an eternal God? Like, don't you fill that eternal void? That person is Jesus. Let me introduce you to the person of Jesus. God bridged the gap. God came to us. The point is he's convicting them. He's pursuing them of the sin. What is the sin? The fact they just don't believe in Jesus. Let me just say, get, say it again this way. The Holy Spirit has pursued all of us at one point and is or pursuing us right now. That he's just, he pursues. He loves. He's like, I'm not going to let you get away. Like, I love you and pursue you. I, I want you to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, believe in Jesus. He's convicting the world. He does that. We see this. The Holy Spirit is truly at work in this world. And we have to see that. Now, let's just look at this in a big picture. One well, with this third point. Um, what does a Spirit-filled church look like, though? Like, if a church is filled with the Spirit, what will be those characteristics or the signs that the church is filled with the Spirit? Let's look at verse 42. All right, Acts 2, verse 42. We'll read through this, and we'll close out this point. Acts 2, 42. It says here, And they continued steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods, <clears throat> and they divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, in one accord, <clears throat> in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Listen, this is what a spirit-filled church looks like. I want you to see what does a spirit-filled church look like? It says, and they devoted themselves. The ESV puts it, 242. They devoted themselves, and then he has this list. Listen, you and I know this, but we probably live in the most fear-based, non-committal generation that there is. Like, we don't like to commit. We hate to commit. We're afraid to commit. It's like, hey, will you be there Friday night? It's like, I don't know. If something better comes up, I might not be there. Like, we just don't like to commit. We're like the most non-devoted generation probably that has ever existed. I actually love how one author said this. He goes, it's not that we're afraid to devote to things. We're actually just devoted to the wrong things, right? Like, we actually, it's not that we have commitment issues. We just want to commit to the wrong things. Like, meaning they gave themselves over to the things of God for the growth of the church of God. And, he, and he's like, not that we have wrong not that we have, we don't have devotion, but we just have wrong devotion. Like, I want you to think about this. I am devoted to my family, obviously. Like, I'm so devoted to my family. I love my family. Like, I love my son. I love my daughter. I love sitting with them. I love hearing their crazy nonsense stories that don't make sense to me. My daughter, like, loves to blab, and I know knows what she's saying. It's the cutest thing. But I love it, right? And I can't, like, you know, one day not show up to my house, you know, one night, not miss dinner, call my wife, and she's like, or she calls me, and she's like, where are you? Like, where, where have you been? Like, you're not at dinner. Like, why aren't you here? It's like, well, you know, last night the conversation didn't really engage me very much. I just, I don't want to talk about Toy Story 4 anymore. And I just kind of thought this was sort of boring. So I just thought I wouldn't show up to dinner tonight. I'd kind of engage with the community that might engage with me. Like, you don't, I don't have that option. Like, I'm devoted. Doesn't matter if the conversation is about potty talk. Like, that's just what it is right now with a five-year-old, right? Like, I'm in, I'm going to have the conversation, I'm going to laugh at five-year-old things. That's just what it's about. My point is, when it comes to the church, you've got to say, like, I'm just devoted. It's not about me in this moment. It's about my devotion to just the good of the body of Christ. You know, I had someone message me this week privately and basically about something I posted, and they're like, I really have been so hurt by the church. I have no desire to be a part of the church. The church has hurt me. People I love have left the faith. And they went on and on and on. It's like, what would you do? 
And this is something I just want to just talk through briefly. I was like, I don't know you. I don't know where you're at with this. But I basically expressed it this way. I said, listen, I can learn a lot from the person of Jesus when it came to his devotion. Like John 1 says, he came to his own and his own received him not. You know, when you think about community, it's like this is the mindset we've got to have, the mind of Christ, which is I will come, I will serve, I will give, I'll love. Even if they spit on me, reject me, crucify me, I'm all in. Like the point of the church is to be that community to say, even if they're not fully, it's not going to be fully reciprocated, I, I'm in. Like, I'm going to be in this, like for better or for worse. Like, this is the community God has brought me and given me, and, and I'm going to give myself over to it. So often we ask the question, like, what can I give or what can I get from it? And the, the body of Christ, the mind of Christ is like, Jesus, you came, you loved, you gave. Like, how can I give? How can I be a part of this? My thing is this. They devoted themselves to these things. Like, we are devoted to something. We can be more devoted, obviously, to whether it's social media. We can be more devoted to some Netflix show, some Netflix series. We can more, be more devoted to those things than just the things of God. And I just think God's just trying to recapture our hearts a bit. I think the Holy Spirit's trying to pursue us a bit and saying, be more devoted to the person of Jesus. Be more devoted to the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. So here's what they're devoted to. Like, we'll read this again, verse 42. To the apostles' doctrines of scriptures, fellowships of community, uh, the breaking of bread, communion, just celebrating communion, prayers. He goes on to say they shared all things in common. There's no one that had need. There's genero- crazy generosity. There was love. They were rejoicing. Like they, it says in verse 47, they're praising God, so there's worship happening. And the Lord added to the church daily. So obviously there's evangelism happening. We're putting this up here so you can just kind of get a picture of like, when we say what does a spirit-filled church look like, it's not just craziness. Like it's not like people think maybe what a spirit-filled church looks like. It's like there's a group of people who are devoted to the gospel of Jesus. They're devoted to the scriptures, to prayer. Like, we need people right now. I, 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 I beg, we need people devoted to prayer. Like, I'm going to pray for lost people during this, this Easter season. I'm going to pray for lost people in every season. Like, we need people praying for God to just move and work. I feel like this is how the Spirit of God accomplishes His will, is through the prayer of God's people. Like, the Spirit of God will work through the prayer of God's people. And I'm like, I'm asking, I'm begging that we be devoted to these same things, like that we be devoted to one another, like have people over for meals. I love they shared meals together. Again, it's like my favorite thing of the church, like just eating food together, like have people over, like invite people into your life. Don't wait for someone to invite you over. You invite them over. Like we need to share a meal with someone. We need to do life together. I love that it says they, that all of their needs were met, that none of them had needs. Can I just say this? You know, during this COVID season, if there was a need brought up to us, you guys met it. Like it's unbelievable. We got to see people's rent being paid for, a lot of meals being paid for, a lot of just groceries being delivered. Like, I'm so thankful for that. I'm sure maybe there's needs we don't know of. But if there was a need expressed, that need was met. And that is so beautiful to me. Like, thank you. That is so the body of Christ in action to me. You know, this idea that they sold all their goods and shared everything in common. This is what the Spirit of God did in that moment, in that time. And here's what I see. I just see radical generosity and radical love. It's not that you have to go sell everything and we put in like one. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, notice that the Spirit of God stirred them in such a way that they're just like, we're going to be generous. There's going to be no needs here. I had one person call me up a year ago during the pandemic. He goes, there's going to be no needs at my church. And just the beauty of that. He goes, if there's a need, you let me know. And it's like, I don't want there to be any needs. By needs, obviously, I mean food, clothing, water, shelter. And it's so beautiful to see the body of, the, of Christ step up in that way. Listen, this is what a Spirit-filled church looks like. Are we devoted to one another? Are we devoted only as, as long as what? Like, are we just completely devoted to the gospel of Jesus, to the apostles' doctrine, to prayer? This is what a spirit-filled church looks like. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing like weird experience. It's just saying, no, we're going to be devoted to these things. Evangelism, God adds to the church daily. 
You do it, God. Bring me devoted to that. Listen, I don't want to belabor this point really much longer. I just want to express this, that um, as we talk about what kind of church we want to be, we want to be a church that Jesus had in mind. And obviously, it starts off with the Holy Spirit. It starts with the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, coming upon the men and women in that room. And it led to the birth of just the church. And it led to people being committed to the gospel of Jesus, to one another, to prayer, to meals. And this is what we want to be about. And so here's my, my thought I want to kind of just close out with a little bit. That verse in Ephesians 5, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And like, how? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving praise to his name. It's interesting that being filled with the Spirit is associated with worship, with praise, with just thankfulness, with singing, with looking at Scripture, singing Scripture. Listen, we just want to close our time by creating room for the Spirit to move and work, and we're just going to sing. We're going to praise. And I'm going to ask that you, during this time, just say, God, fill us, fill me. We want to be a church that's truly filled with the Spirit. We don't want to have this in word only, but in deed, like, fill us, God. And we're just going to worship. Can we do that? Can we just worship the Lord, give some time? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship. So, Father, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for your son, Jesus. We want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we want to thank you that you move, that, God, you guide us, you lead us. Holy Spirit, we ask that um, you would just be present in this place, that as Peter said, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you are a gift, that we do not earn you or work for you, that you are a gift. And we want to receive that right now. God, our prayer to our heart is that you would just fill us. We ask, Jesus, we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. And Lord, we just want to sing. We want to make melody in our hearts to you, Lord. We want it to be more than just words, but our hearts expressed to you. So Jesus, we thank you. God, I ask for people in this room, as we saw in Ezekiel, that they might feel dead, that they might be dead, but make them alive. That Jesus, you'd make all things new here. That God, you'd make dead men alive here. Just that you'd breathe upon us by your spirit. That you'd fill us, God. We just want to give you room to work. God, I ask that we'd be a church that is dedicated to each other, to your word, to prayer, to eating meals together, to community, to that temple and the house to house. Lord, we want to be about both. So Jesus, we just give you room here now to work. We ask in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.